Good evening and welcome to yet another episode of The Michael Rothstein Show, live from the Den of Despair, otherwise known as Ford Field in Detroit. And the season is over. And if you are somebody who watches the Detroit Lions religiously, you are probably pretty happy about that at this point after a 23-20 loss to the Green Bay Packers that played out essentially like every other game this season or close to it. The Lions started off playing extremely well early, looked like a really good team for about, oh, I don't know, a quarter or so. Really seemed like they were had figured some stuff out defensively, had moved the ball well on offense, even with David Blau at quarterback. And then in the second half, Aaron Rodgers started to pick things apart. Granted, the Lions were playing also with a very banged up Darius Slay. After the game, Slay even said that he maybe should have stayed down, meaning that he shouldn't have come back in the game after he rolled his ankle. But he wanted to win the game. He wanted to win the last game of the season here. And he wanted to win the game for wide receiver Marvin Jones. And we'll get to that here in a minute and his incredibly tragic family situation. But just a couple of quick things about the game first. It played out, as I was saying, exactly like Lions games have all year long. And there were maybe a couple of things you can see that you could feel good about going into 2020. Specifically, the play of Amani Owarie, the rookie cornerback. He came in, he I thought handled himself pretty well. He got beat pretty badly by Devontae Adams on one touchdown. But other than that, handled himself a little bit better than he has in prior appearances, which is a good sign, I think, for him down the road. Because in 2020, he's likely going to be counted on to do more, whether it's compete for a starting job opposite Darius Slay or at least be the team's top backup at cornerback. And that's a good find for a late-round pick by Bob Quinn, and, and he showed some potential there. I think you also really had to like what you saw from Frank Ragnow. He continues to be Detroit's best offensive lineman. He really controls the middle of the field there a little bit and really the middle of the line trying to open up holes. He communicates well with Graham Glasgow and Odea Boucher and before that, Joe Dahl and Kenny Wiggins. And he really teamed up well with Graham Glasgow today, which makes things a little bit more interesting as well because Graham Glasgow might have played his last game with the Lions. He's a free agent come March. He told me and a couple of other reporters on Friday that at this point he'd be dumb not to take it to free agency. And then after the game today, he said really wants to be at a place that this was a long year and that he wants to be in a place that he's wanted. Then I asked him, well, do you feel like you were wanted here this year, especially because you were in a guard rotation for all this, for the whole season with Joe Dahl and Kenny Wiggins? And he wouldn't answer the question. And, and that, to me, spoke volumes. But he said they do need to talk. And on Friday, he said he would like to come back here. He's been in Michigan for the better part of a decade now. But that's going to be one of the free agency situations to watch. And it would be... A shame, I think, for the Lions if he left because he's their best homegrown lineman in a while, probably since Larry Warford, who left for New Orleans, and they drafted Glasgow to really replace Larry Warford. 
and that they can't hold on to potentially Graham Glasgow for one reason or another would be, I think, a frustration for the fan base and should be because part of how you build a team, build a franchise, is to really rely on homegrown talent and talent that you can develop. And if Graham Glasgow walks out the door, then that's another player that you worked on developing and developed pretty well that will then go on and play for another team. David Blau looked all right today. Obviously, he had the really bad interception at the end. He said Green Bay got him on that, but I thought he showed some good things in what was otherwise a pretty meaningless game, which goes to kind of the one thing of meaning that I thought came out of Sunday, which was Marvin Jones. Now, if you haven't heard about the situation with Marvin Jones, his youngest son, Marlo, tragically passed away on Friday at six months old. And you could see in a Instagram post that Marvin Jones had on Saturday announcing the death of his son. And then in all of the responses from former players and from wives of players and from current players, everyone was devastated, devastated about it. And that was echoed again in the locker room after the game. Players I talked to that didn't want to be quoted and players that were willing to be quoted all said similar things of just how crushing it was. And a lot of them, and some of them rather, were even surprised that before the game today on the sidelines was Marvin Jones and his family. They decided to come to the game and there was a moment of silence for Marlowe prior to kickoff. Marvin Jones and his family were on the sidelines for that. They were on the sidelines through the anthem and you could tell Marvin Jones was getting emotional during the anthem. And then they disappeared, They, which, I mean, they're not going to be on the sidelines during the game and don't know if they stayed for the game or not. But it was just a very emotional couple of minutes. And usually during moments of silence, you hear little things here and there. But it was pin drop silent when they were holding the moment of silence for Marlo Jones. And it's a pretty emotional moment. Uh, I've got I've written about this on Twitter a little bit and I've said it a couple of other places, but I've gotten to know Marvin Jones a little bit over the last four years while he's been here. We've, we've had a lot of conversations in the locker room. And the one thing that has always been consistent, and you can see it from his social media as well, is whenever he talks about any of his children, how much he lights up and how excited he is about the things they're doing and the things that they're able to him and Jasmine are able to do for them, whether it's making sure all of them learn Spanish so they can all be bilingual, which is something that Marvin Jones has really tried to do for himself over the last couple of years, or coaching Marvin Jones III and Marianne Jones's flag football team uh, back in California in the offseason to showing up at his kids' sporting events as much as he can to playing with them all the time. His Instagram is either him singing or something with his kids over and over and over again. And he, I said it on the local ABC affiliate after the game today. He, he's one of the most dedicated professional athlete fathers I think I've covered in my seven years covering the NFL. It's been something really awesome to watch and it's completely genuine. And then for something like this to happen, is just, it's unfathomable and heartbreaking. And I, I don't think, I mean, I, words that I could say could never put it into justice. And it, it's been something that just, you could tell it was on the minds of a lot of people within the franchise 
over the last 48 hours. Darius Slay said it's been on his mind a lot. Uh, Tavon Wilson said it's been on his mind a lot. And uh, I think it's been on the mind of a lot of people who even are around the organization peripherally, reporters, myself uh, as well, of just just how awful the whole situation is. And, and, I mean, I've definitely been thinking about Marvin Jones a lot on a human level and just hope that they have some comfort and uh, are able to, to get through what is just a situation that no one would ever, ever want anyone they know to be in and with that um to take a weird turn we'll now take some of your questions for what has been the final game of the 2019 season as the lions finish 3 12 and 1 it's their worst record since the 2009 season which was a 2 and 14 record and it's the second year in a row they're finishing last place in the nfc north and based off of the current Dallas-Washington score, I'm recording this around 645 Eastern, it looks like the Lions will have the number three pick in the draft. And they will also likely end up coaching in the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama next month, which will give them a good look at a lot of prospects. And, and Bob Quinn, the general manager of this team, really, really, really likes the Senior Bowl. He's often talked about it and definitely taken players from the senior bowl before. So that'll be a good opportunity for the lions, but let's get into some of your questions here about this team, this season and uh, the quick plug here. And I'll mention it again at the end later on this week, I believe we're going to have a full podcast with myself and then a couple of Detroit lions beat writers where we break down the season, take some of your questions and also just kind of talk a bit about what it's like to cover a team, like I said, in this den of despair that is Ford Field over and over and over again because this is definitely a franchise that has not had any sort of consistency as far as winning for the last six decades or so. All happy teams are alike, says if Matthew Stafford is healthy-ish, healthy-ish this year, you have to think the Lions will have won three to five more games. So if he returns... 100% next year is his injury a huge long-term blessing I, I would say no because the Lions were still three four and one when Matthew Stafford got hurt don't think they would have beaten Minnesota on the road with Matthew Stafford because I think that that game plays out differently I don't think they could have kept pace with Tampa Bay at that point mostly because you didn't have Marvin Jones by then because Marvin Jones was out for the year. Obviously, there's so many other things that can come into play. So I don't know if you keep pace with Tampa Bay. You probably can beat Dallas. You're probably still beating the Giants. Well, you had Stafford for the, for the Giants game at least. But you probably beat Dallas at that point. Maybe you split with Chicago. Or maybe you beat, both, beat the Bears twice. I don't know the answer to that question, but it's not like this team was 5-2. and two or 6-1 and one when they had Matthew Stafford and then the bottom fell out. They were definitely struggling. The offense wasn't the problem this year. It was the defense. So, yes, having a higher draft pick, which you probably wouldn't be picking number three. If you had Matthew Stafford, you'd probably be living in that number 10 range like they have done in years past, 8-12 to 12 in that area. So you can maybe get a really high-impact defensive player, whether that's Chase Young or Jeffrey Akuda or Derek Brown. 
those are the early guys to maybe look at. Or Isaiah Simmons, I really like him as a player, the linebacker from Clemson. You can get one of those guys, then yeah, maybe it ends up being a help long term. But a quarterback with back injuries and back-to-back years is never a blessing because you just never know how that's going to go. And, and Matthew Stafford is over 30 now. And as somebody who's 39 years old, I can tell you, you're, and not a professional athlete, but just age wears on you. Age changes you. And that's something to absolutely consider with Matthew Stafford. I fully expect he'll come back healthy in 2020. But he, it's worth noting that he's had serious injuries the last two years. So something to consider. Sham Sham God asks, say we get the number, the line, meaning the Lions get the third pick. Is it likelier that Bob Quinn trades down to a team looking to jump Miami or the Chargers, who will inevitably take a quarterback, or stay put and draft the best player available? First things first, I'm not necessarily sold that Washington won't trade the pick and see if Miami can jump all the way to two to guarantee that they get Miami or the Chargers or whoever else maybe needs a quarterback to see if they can get to a, at number two. If they can, if that happens, then the Lions are in really good shape because they have their pick of defensive players. And at that point, I don't think that you can trade back. I don't think if a you probably don't find a partner to trade back and B, I don't think you can pass on Chase Young if he's on the board or Derek Brown. Those to me, you need help on that defensive line. You need to create a pass rush. Chase Young is a special edge rusher. And you saw that even, I thought, in the national semifinal. He didn't do a ton statistically. But as I watched that game over and over again, he really collapsed the pocket a lot. He really pushed the pocket a lot. And he was getting double teamed a lot. And I think when you look at that and say, okay, you pair him opposite Trey Flowers or maybe next to Trey Flowers if Chase Young stands up because he can do that. He has that capability. And you can overload a side. That becomes really dangerous because Chase Young in one-on-one situations could be a complete game wrecker and if you can't get chase young say washington sticks at two and takes chase young and you still want to take a defensive player at three Derek brown's a great player and i think a really good interior lineman and someone who can definitely change the defense because one of the things that was lacking from the lions this season maybe more than anything in part because Deshaun hand was never healthy mike daniels was never healthy damon harrison is more of a run stopper anyway and wasn't playing at the level that he is accustomed to playing at is that sort of game-changing interior defender, and the Lions haven't had that since Indomitian Sue. And if Derek Brown can be 80% of what Indomitian Sue was in Detroit, then he would be a fantastic player for them. All of that said, I think if you can trade down to five or six, there's a decent chance Derek Brown's still on the board at that point. There's a good chance Isaiah Simmons would be on the board at that point. Uh, Jeffrey Okuda might still be there. So you might be able to trade back and trade, maybe get an extra first from Miami or get a second or a third from the Chargers using those two as the example. And you gain more draft capital. You still get a high impact player, but I wouldn't trade down much past six or seven because after that you, you need impact players. You need a guy who could be a star on defense and there's only going to be so many of those guys in this draft class probably three or four of them max and you need to grab one of them in and take that i mean that would be to me priority one i love the receivers that are likely coming out and jerry judy and cd lamb 
But I, I think – and the Lions receiver to me is an issue that the Lions need to solve because Dan Amendola is going to be a free agent. Marvin Jones is entering a contract year, and you're probably paying Kenny Galladay a lot of money. So you need a receiver that you can have on a rookie deal. So one of those guys would be impact players, but you need to fix your defense, and that is where priority one, two, and three to me should be. So I would avoid those guys, but I think both of them can be really good. I really liked, if you watched the game against LSU, Oklahoma City Lamb, is, he's fantastic. He, he is a fantastic, fantastic football player. But I don't know if the Lions need him there at, at, that, at that spot. Chris, with the handle CJB underscore 19, asks, do I think Darius Slay will be a Lion in 2020? I think so. At this point, if you ask me today, do I think he'll be a line in 2020, I will say yes for two reasons. One, he's shown that he can have a good working relationship with Matt Patricia, even if he doesn't necessarily agree with everything that's going on. And he's been vocal about that in the past. But the Lions are in a win-now mode. And if you trade Darius Slay, I mean, unless you get something crazy for him, like two first-round picks, which I don't know if I see that happening, you kind of have to roll with them because – how are you getting better by trading your best defensive player? And sure, he didn't look great out there today, but he was hobbling around on an ankle. And to me, the fact that he still wanted to be out there on a bum ankle, like a lot of guys are to pack that in. He wants to be out there. He wants to play. And that, to me, should tell you a lot about Darius Slay. So, yes, I think at this point he will be a Lion in 2020. It would not shock me if they traded him. But you need to keep your good players and the Lions don't have a surplus of good players at the moment, so why would you get rid of him? That's kind of my stance there right now. Now, that could change, of course, but that's where my head is at with that. John Millard with the handle John Millard 3 asks, what is the team buying going forward with Matt Patricia? I think it's still there. And listen, with a new season comes hope. A new season comes new hope and comes roster turnover. Figure 25% of this roster will look differently next year. So between rookies and guys that they bring in, and they're not going to bring in a player that they don't think will buy into the system or buy into Matt Patricia. So you're going to see more players who inherently are going to buy in. So I think the buy-in is still there. But to me, it's tenuous because you haven't won in two years. And if you start off slow again and you lose games early, I don't know how much more there could be just from a, hey, listen, this hasn't worked the first two years. It's not working again. And that would be the major concern at this point. But to me, the fact that they were in most games, they were doing what they were doing with a really skeleton crew there at the end, especially on offense, and they hung around. It tells me that they were bought in for the most part this season. I think that was more of an issue in 2018 versus this year. I think they were bought in this year, and we'll see how that carries over to 2020. But, again, new season. They have pieces. They have pieces they believe in. A couple of players mentioned to me in the locker room after the game, Hope, when they started talking about 2020, and that they that's what gives them hope is that they have pieces they believe are in place, and they suffered a lot of injuries. So that's what they believe, and I think that that will carry at least some buy-in early on. We'll see what happens, though, once games start being played and once moves start being made because there could be some really tough roster decisions that they make that could sway things as well. DC Waz, with the same handle, asks, what do the Lions do with the wide receiver core for next season? Marvin back, Amendola back. 
So Danny Amendola, as we were talking about before, is a free agent. He's hitting his mid-30s. I thought he played well for a number three receiver. He gives you what you want, what the Lions want. He's a Matt Patricia favorite, a Bob Quinn favorite. He's a very fiery player. And I think if he wants to come back, I think the at a reasonable price, I think the Lions would welcome him back. I, no one's told me that at this point, but Matt Patricia really likes himself in Danny Amendola and he gives them what they want as a third receiver. Marvin Jones at this point should be back. He was playing really well before he got hurt and that ankle injury ended his season in Minnesota. And here's really all you need to know about Marvin Jones and the season he was having. Kenny Galladay, despite playing three more games until he got knocked out of the last game, this game against Green Bay with a concussion, he was still, Marvin Jones was still leading Kenny Galladay in receptions. Galladay only, and Danny Amendola only passed or tied Marvin Jones today. And Marvin Jones has been sitting for three weeks. So that should tell you at least the volume level of the season Marvin Jones was having. He had 700, I think it was 79 yards this year, despite missing at least three games. Maybe it was four. And he had nine touchdowns and was still in the top five in touchdowns, receiving touchdowns in the NFL. He was having a massive year. I don't know if you can trade him at this point. Either he's got one year left. You have to make a bigger decision of what you do with him as far as a potential extension. Do you trust that he can continue that level of work? And if you do, then maybe you give him a two or three year extension and keep him around because the the core that you have offensively as far as skill players go is actually pretty good when they're healthy between Stafford, Galladay, Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola, and then the running back situation of Bo Scarborough, Carrion Johnson, and Ty Johnson, and even J.D. McKissick. I think you had to like what you saw out of Ty Johnson, actually. Uh, he was another, to me, bright spot out of Sunday. He finally looked like he was a pretty confident runner, and he and I talked about that a little bit earlier this week, just in passing, of how the big thing for him was building confidence and that he believed that he was close and just needed to break one. And you saw that with a 40-yard run against the Packers. And I think that that – I'm not a big believer that momentum carries from one season to another, but for an individual player, being able to do that can really, really help a player. So sorry to go off on a tangent a little bit there, but to me, I think they try to keep it the same. I think they bring someone in – whether it's another younger free agent or they draft somebody and kind of groom that person to either take over for Amendola or maybe take over for Marvin Jones if they choose not to extend him to kind of build that up for the future, working on the assumption that they're going to give Kenny Galladay a pretty big contract. They need to find a rookie in there as a receiver. I don't think that they make that a first-round priority, but I would imagine they will draft a rookie at some point to – basically start to turn that receiver room over a little bit and other than that I would imagine I think it stays pretty much the same the big question would be Danny Amendola but again he's a Matt Patricia favorite um Francisco Sizor with the handle tribe fan underscore nine and we've touched on this a little bit asks are the Lions going to be in play for a quarterback at two or three or will it be Chase Younger bust I can't see the Lions taking a quarterback at two or three unless there's something about Matthew Stafford that we don't know at this point I just can't see them making that move because Matthew Stafford's still young enough where he is very valuable and it's not like that's a luxury pick with where you're picking because 
frankly, he is he's still your franchise quarterback and you have major holes on defense. And if you're trying to win now, you can't draft a quarterback at two or three and feel any sort of good about what the direction of the franchise. If that happens, that to me signals that this is a complete rebuild. And also frankly, that Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia are not going to be around to finish it. If you draft a quarterback. Now, if something happens where Matthew Stafford maybe is more injured than, than anyone has let on, then maybe it's a different discussion, but I just can't see that happening as long as Matthew Stafford continues on the trajectory that he seems like he's going to, which is that he'll be back in 2020 and be healthy. So I would say it's Chase Young or Bust or maybe try to trade back or take Derek Brown or Isaiah Simmons or Jeff Okuda or some player that we're not even talking about here on December 29th because the draft process works in weird ways sometimes. So what we're talking about now could completely change a month or two months from now after the bowl, after the all-star games and after the combine and after some pro days start to happen. And the last question I'll answer from David Woodley, who happens to also be show producer here, who will win a Super Bowl first, the Minnesota Vikings or the Detroit Lions? I think you have to like where the Vikings are right now. Uh, Their defensive core is getting older, but Hey, they're a playoff team. They have some really good offensive pieces. Gotta like Stephon Diggs. Gotta like what you see out of Dalvin Cook. And I think they have some. They've really started to figure out some ways to turn over some of the the defense a little bit and bring in some younger players. So to me, the Vikings are better positioned than the Lions at this point. Kind of obvious to win a Super Bowl first because oh yeah, the Vikings are a playoff team this year, so they still technically have a shot to do it this year. So I would. Not only say that the Lions have a better shot to win a Super Bowl first, but they clearly have a better shot to get to the Super Bowl first or even have sustained success because the Vikings have already been having that. The Lions have been searching for that for decades at this point. As always, thank everybody for listening over the last half of the season as we've gotten the podcast going. I want to thank my producers, David Woodley, Matt Leach, Stephen Arkinall, my designer, Samantha Holt. And all of you for listening. It's been a fun ride, and the podcast is going to keep going, even though the Lions season is over. As I mentioned in the middle of the podcast a little bit, we're going to have an episode this week wrapping up the Lions season more in depth with a couple of guests that I'll name later in the week. I hope you have a happy new year, and be safe out there. And again, the Lions season ends today against the Packers with a 3-12-1 record after the Packers beat the Lions 23-20. This is the Michael Rothstein Show, and we'll see you later this week in 2020.